Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Mark Butler. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Henry. Looking forward to this conversation, Mark. I've uh, released several episodes recently on the topic of bookkeeping. It seems like I've been focusing on it, bookkeeping, accounting, business financial planning, because this is such an important topic in an area that, in my observation, and Mark is going to share his experiences as well, most small business owners struggle with this. We simply don't come to business ownership with financial skills required, and at least most of us don't. And so Mark helps his clients take a different approach to bookkeeping that allows them to use the financial data to help plan for the future of their business not just the, the transactional recording of what happened in their business solely for tax purposes, which is what a lot of us do or how a lot of us look at bookkeeping anyway. While Mark focuses on online entrepreneurs, that's primarily who he serves and freelancers and coaches as well. I think the principles he teaches and follow and, and that we can follow apply to all types of businesses. And so that's why I wanted to have Mark on the show. To receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page to this episode, or to schedule a free coach, coaching consultation with me, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700, or just visit thehowabusiness.com. So let me tell you a bit more about Mark. Mark Butler is the founder and the, uh, uh, of the founder, rather, of the accounting business, Let's Do the Books as well as the bookkeeper, CFO, and confidant to some of the top online entrepreneurs like Brooke Castillo. Before working in finance, Mark co-founded three online businesses that brought in close to $2 million in total revenue. Today, Mark combines his savvy and his certification in life coaching to help business owners take control of their finances and work through the shame and anxiety that most people always come up with when dealing with money. And that's something I'm really going to explore with Mark, something we haven't really focused on on the show before. Looking at him now, though, you, you'd never expect that he previously founded three businesses that brought in $2 million in revenue, but he says he always felt broke. His story is a common tale that he hears from his own clients. A business brings in good money, but the entrepreneurs don't know how to manage the finances. So with all that said, Mark Butler, welcome to the show. Thank you, Henry. I'm thrilled to be here, thrilled to be talking about this topic with you and your audience. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time. And I'd like to start where I usually start, which is understanding how you got to where you are today. Could you, could you just summarize briefly your early career before you launched your first online business? Yeah, my early career before the first online business was in sales. So I had a, I had a sales job and then I became a sales kind of team leader and then a sales trainer. And I did that for about the first four working years of my life out of college. And then while I was, while I had that sales job, I, I had a couple, I came across a couple of opportunities and ideas for online businesses. Mm -hmm. So my very first online business was, it was around 2005 that it started. This was in the early days of, uh, of pay-per-click advertising. And there were sort of you know, different ways to leverage pay-per-click ads to, to make money online. And we were doing that in those, in those earliest days, kind of the wild west. 
eventually I partnered up with a guy and we started to teach people how to set businesses up online, how to set up websites, profit from those websites. And that was the business that, that did work really well, but that was the business where I kind of always felt broke. Hmm. So a couple of businesses spun off of that. It was the same story with those. They were successful enough. They provided a good living for me and my, for my partners, but I, I just never really had peace of mind as it related to the money. So, but the businesses up, were profitable. Yeah. Yeah. The businesses were profitable and we did, it, it, it provided us with a living, but there was just, for me, there was always so much uncertainty around the money that in spite of the fact that I was able to pay my own bills and have a, a decent quality of life outside my business, it was the, it was the constant worry associated with the money Interesting. that kind of kept me up at night. And I, I ended up selling my partners and I ended up selling those businesses at the end of 2012 for, you know, an amount of money that made for a fun day and a fun week, but it wasn't enough that it's like, oh, we're, we're retired now. It was yeah. like, oh, now I have to get a job. <laughs> Why did you guys decide to sell? Just, just the opportunity was right or there were, there were three different businesses mm -hmm. and one of them was sold. I had a one partner with one business. It was sold to a competitor. It was a, it was a, a software product. And it was sold to a competitor who wanted to hire my business partner in the business because he was the engineer who'd built the product and they wanted him. So they bought the whole business. I see. Another one I sold to my other business partner who the business had kind of been, it wasn't doing as well anymore. And it was kind of on its way out. And I said, why don't you, why don't you just give me a little check for the, for sort of my share and then you can wind it down however you want. Mm -hmm. And then we had a third business and one of our customers bought that business from us. So you know, the total value of these three sales, if I remember right, was probably, it wasn't a huge sum. It was probably 225,000 across the whole, the whole group. And then that was split with partners and then you pay tax taxes, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. So again, it was a great day, a fun week, and then sure. let's go get a job. Right. Again, a, mo a moment to give you pause to, to decide what you're going to do next. So, right. so do you then shift to this focus on figuring out why you always struggled with money? Is that what it gave you a pause to do or how did you stumble onto that? It was, it was, the answer is yes, accidentally. When I needed a job, uh, I had been sharing an office with a guy who's a neighbor and a very good friend is one of my best friends who runs a company called you need a budget.com. Uh, commonly it's users call it YNAB. It's personal finance software, personal budgeting software. I needed a job. So I reached out to him and said, Hey, do you think there's something for me in your company? And he said, you should come be my staff writer. I'd done tons of copywriting and that was my job in my old businesses. He knew that and he trusted my skills. So he hired me to be a staff writer for you need a budget. And I did that for a whole year and I made okay money, but I was used to making more money. So after a year, I went to him and, and said, Hey, this really is a brilliant philosophy that you give people with, you need a budget. And I think I would have benefited from it when I was running my previous businesses. So how about you let me go to your customer base and offer a kind of coaching or consultancy where we implement your philosophy in their business. And he because all he had been offering to that point is, was just the tool primarily the tool. The software and then the company does a great job with free education to support the tools. So they mm -hmm. they call themselves an education company that happens to sell software and they do a great job with the education, but they'd never done sort of a done for you implementation. 
And I was proposing that. So he let me and very quickly leveraging his customer base, I had like 30-ish clients. And that was great. And it was my opportunity to really ingrain the philosophy and the habits that freed me from the stress and the, the lost sleep I'd had as a small business owner and to give that to other small business owners. But after about six or eight months of that, he realized that the consulting I was going to do or that I was doing was never really going to move the needle in his business. They have this great software company, massive scale, high margins. My consultancy was not, it was not going to be exciting on the top line or bottom line of their business. Mm -hmm. So he proposed that we wind it down and just have me become sort of a small business evangelist for the software, you know, saying, telling people you can and should use this software in your business and we'll show you how at, at arm's length. Um, and I said, I, I really agree with you. I think you're wise to do that, but I'm really loving what I'm doing. So would you be willing to sell me my clients mm -hmm. and I'll go back out on my own? That's what we did. That was late 2014. And that's kind of the origin story for what became first Mark Butler CFO, a, C, a CFO for high earning online business owners. And then more recently, the founder of Let's Do the Books, this, this bookkeeping service. And is it while you were working there that you learned uh, these new principles and approaches and mindset about money? That's right. While I was his staff writer, being his staff writer, I was producing an article every day for the company. And in order to produce that article every day, I really had to immerse myself in the philosophy, the mindset, the habits, and the tool. So over that year, I, I used that experience to solve my own issues and my personal finances and that was when the light bulb went on. And I said, we, we've got to go do this for small business owners. From a personal perspective, if you don't mind sharing, what, what was one of those things that shifted for you mindset-wise that addressed that issue of always feeling broke? It's a great question. This goes to sort of the whole philosophy of money that I use with my clients and, um, and in my personal finances now. But the, the biggest shift was that the idea of budgeting changed from being a restrictive idea in my mind to being an absolutely liberating idea in my mind. And I, I, I developed budgeting as a verb rather than thinking, I started thinking of budgeting as a verb instead of thinking it as, of it as a noun, meaning a budget is a thing that stops us from what we want and restricts us and tells us we can't spend to treating it like a verb and saying, I budget my money to those things that I care about most. And it was active and that shift in mindset has transformed my finances. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not innovative here. I'm not unique here. Hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people approach it this way. And it's just this basic shift from taking control of your money by deciding ahead of time what you want it to do. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a brilliant mind shift that it makes perfect sense. You know, it, it, it makes me think that if we think back to even school, when we think of the term budget, it was all about, no, 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 you can't have that now. You got to budget for it, right? So to your point, it always seems like it got used as a restrictive thing. Yes. You can't have that thing that you want. I think you were chatting about this with Brooke Castillo in one of her episodes recently that the way that you've used this now as a tool is if, if somebody wants something, either pay themselves more or properly, or maybe do another project, whatever, you use budgeting as the tool to tell you, here's how you can go do that, right? That's exactly right. Budgeting is not a tool of, 
uh, restriction, budgeting is a tool to facilitate spending. That, that is the, the job of the budget is to facilitate spending on those things that we care about most. Now, it doesn't mean we never make trade-offs in our lives. Right. What budgeting allows us to do is to be totally clear on the trade-offs we're making and, be, and as a result, become the owners of those trade-offs. So we're, we're no longer in a position to blame our circumstances or to blame anything else for the choices we're making because we're so clear on the choices we're making that we're saying, I am actively choosing this instead of that. Right. And suddenly that feeling of restriction evaporates because I have total ownership of the decision. Yeah. All right. So from sales to online businesses to accounting, that's not a typical path there. <laughs> so, right. So how did you, where did you, was it a passion that you found and part of you developed it when you were with, you need a budget to help others have this approach, this shift, this empowerment. Is that what uh, fuels, fuels you and wanted you, kept you in this business? Yeah. And again, this was slightly accidental. I, I've always been a person that I, I liked math. That, you know, I like math. I like numbers. I like okay. critical thinking. I like decision-making. Um, and I did take one accounting class in college, but that was it. I took one accounting class 20 years ago. And then I kind of fell into this. I was working at, you need a budget. And my former business partner said, Hey, you know, before I sold before I bought your share of the business, we hadn't done any bookkeeping for the year, which was classic for us. It was typical <laughs> for us. We'd go a whole year without even thinking about bookkeeping. And then we'd scramble in March or April to put some stuff together. And he said, can I pay you to cobble together our bookkeeping? And I said, sure. And when I did that, I was, for the first time I was doing it in this tool, you need a budget. And then something clicked for me where what it, it didn't feel like accounting, even though that's what I was doing, technically yeah. speaking, it felt like me organizing numbers and making sure that it all fit. And that was where kind of a light bulb went on. And I, I literally said to myself, it would be really cool if I could get paid to do this. But that was even long before I ever knew that people were going to call it bookkeeping. I didn't know that it was called bookkeeping. I see. It was later on that I had some clients who'd hired me really to be a budgeting coach. And then in the flow of being their budgeting coach, as I was helping them organize their numbers, they were the ones who pointed out to me, couldn't you just be my bookkeeper if you're doing this anyway? And I said, well, I guess so. So that was when they started calling me a bookkeeper. And then fast forward a couple of years and some of my higher earning clients started to refer to me as their CFO. That had never occurred to me. So it was my clients who were kind of, they were telling me how they thought of me and then I was just adopting their label. So that's how you get a guy who has no, who really, I view myself as a sales and marketing and copywriting guy now running an accounting business without any sort of accounting background. It just was this gradual evolution. And my clients wanted to say, Hey, you're my CFO. I've been telling everybody I have this great new CFO. Oh, okay. I'll just run with that label. But I can see where that has been an advantage for you and in helping others, because as I've been talking more and more about this on the show, and as you've been sharing these thoughts, it occurs to me that, that one of the things that keeps a lot of people from looking at their numbers is the old, the old adage of, I'm, I'm terrible at numbers. I, I'm horrible at math. Uh, yes. I'm afraid of the numbers. You come at it from an approach. And what I try to tell people, and I even I have realized, there's not complicated math here. That's not what it's about. We have tools that do the math. That's right. 
you know, it's, it's more, it's what that data then allows us to, to understand about our financial position and plan and budget so that we can do the things that we want to do. And that's, that's right. what it gives us, right? That's exactly right. And the, we, there's a few obstacles here. Uh, one is that I, I, I have no idea whether I'm right or whether this is based on data. So I'm just giving an opinion here. I think that in the United States in particular, we have a lot, maybe even a majority of the population that because of our experience in school with math, we, we get it in our heads that we're not good with numbers. Right. So we then go through our lives trying to actively avoid numbers because our memory of numbers is really just getting bad grades on math tests or something. Mm -hmm. So that's there as a, as a baseline. And then we bring in a, a new vocabulary that comes with being a business owner and the, the words, the vocabulary associated with financial statements like profit and loss and balance sheet. Well, now we're combining our fear of numbers with our uncertainty about this new, these new vocabulary terms. We're combining those and we don't want to touch any of it. We don't want to deal with any part of it. And then we combine that with the idea that when, if we actually look at our numbers, we are going to have our worst fears and our greatest criticisms of ourselves verified and validated by the numbers on those spreadsheets or in that software, whatever the software happens to be. So all of that together contributes to people having no desire. And in fact, sometimes being paralyzed with fear about looking at any numbers in their business. Yeah. Yeah. And I so want to dive, avoid it completely. Exactly. And I want to dive more into that because that's, that starts to speak to that shame that we have from it. <laughs> and like you said, it's almost, it's like the shame started when we, we feel embarrassed about that. We were bad at math. A lot of us were, and then it gets amplified because there's this special business math that I don't understand. And right. to your point, I don't want to know what it might tell me about how badly my business may or may not be doing. I also think in my experience that it, that it ties Mark to not only we are being taught math, but, but very few of us were taught personal finance and we kind of figure that out. And, and, and the reality is not to go off too far on a tangent is that our society and our system is set up so that we don't very much look at the numbers. We just look at, can I afford this thing on a monthly basis? And yeah, you can, and so that's why we're all in so much debt, generally speaking. Yes. But but we not we're not taught the basics of finance, personal finances anymore. And I have found that if your personal finances are in disorder, usually that person's business finances are also in disorder. Yeah, spot on. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely right. And 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 you're right on all points. Since we don't do much with basic financial literacy here in the United States. The, the financial education that we get as kids is mostly what we're observing in our parents and what they're modeling for us. Right. It's a rare parent that educates their kids about personal finance. So what the kid actually gets is just, and I do a lot of uh, personal finance coaching as well. And I hear from people who say, well, my parents were just always fighting about money, or I was always hearing we can't afford it, or money doesn't grow on trees or th these kinds of things. And then those get wired into our heads and then that kind of compounds the fear we have about money in general. So then when it's time to run a business, all of these things conspire against us to make it so we want nothing to do with the numbers in our businesses. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, we're going to deep, deeper dive in here. But, but before we move off of, of your journey, you've been a business owner now for some time. But what, what does it do mostly for you? What, what does being your own boss do for you? You know, my 
probably my greatest core value. The thing that matters to me more than anything else is the, is autonomy. I want to, I want to self-direct. I want to decide what I'm going to do. I want to decide how I'm going to do it. And it's not that I think that's impossible in an employed world. I do think it might be comparatively rare in an employed world, but in a self-employed world, in a business owning world, that autonomy just means everything to me. The, the ability to see a problem in the world, make up my own solution for it, and then see if that solution finds resonance with a group of people is to me, it's magic. And I'm so grateful to be able to explore that. And sometimes it goes as planned. And a lot of times it doesn't go as planned, but the, the opportunity to even explore that is my favorite thing. And so I, I am at this point, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm, I'm unemployable. I, <laughs> I can't be employed anymore. I'll have to make the other way work. So, cause I love it. Yeah, I hear you. That resonates with me. And I, and I find that to be a common thing. You've expressed it very eloquently. And that, that's, I, I think all of us, certainly I experienced the same thing when I was in the corporate world. I felt limited. I felt throttled. Somebody else was deciding what my full potential was, even if I was compensated very well. And for those of us who become business owners, we need that. Now, the flip side of it, as you alluded to, Mark, is we got to take accountability, but that's what we love that succeed or fail, it's on us, right? To right. a big extent, yeah. That's right. Which, All right, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, which, I mean, I think we'll get there, but that loops us back to the numbers. It loops us yeah. back to the money because part of accountability, part of maintaining that freedom that we crave so much is high awareness of our money, high awareness of our numbers. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to this episode to let you know that one of our sponsors and one of my favorite podcasts, Stroke of Genius, is back for season four. Stroke of Genius season four explores the most pressing questions, fascinating stories, and often overlooked marvels that make up the world of intellectual property. From famous copyright cases to the unheard stories behind impactful inventions, each episode transports us to a different place within the landscape of human innovation. This season, they chat with entrepreneurs and innovators who have used intellectual property protections to positively affect issues like COVID-19, food deserts, and everything in between. Join the Stroke of Genius podcast as they dig deeper into the journeys of the world's most influential difference makers. Get more information at ipoef.org and subscribe to Stroke of Genius on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. All right, so, so with that segue, introduce for me at a high level and then we'll, we'll start to, to, to deeper dive this approach that you take to bookkeeping and, and perhaps maybe how it might be different from what I might call a traditional approach to how I look at bookkeeping. So the bookkeeping itself, meaning the day-to-day -day organization of transactions, importing them into a piece of software, applying a certain category or account code, depending on the tool you use to that transaction so that it fits into its correct spot in a, in a financial statement, in a profit and loss statement, for example. That's all straightforward. It's not rocket science and it's relatively simple. And I, I want to say that because for anyone who's listening, who feels like it's all too big and too complicated, I promise you it isn't. A, a, a couple of hours of Googling different terms and of watching examples on YouTube, and you'll have 
the gist of bookkeeping. Now, that assumes that your business is relatively simple and straightforward. If, if you're a business that, you know, leases a fleet of 40 trucks and has 200 employees, okay, there's more complexity there. And I want to acknowledge that. But if you're a solo operator, if you operate on a business online, or if you're any kind of coach, consultant, freelancer, your bookkeeping is really straightforward. And so I, I share that with you because I want you to know that you are totally capable of understanding it. And we do that even though it's relatively easy to understand, we know that most business owners don't want to do that on a day-to-day basis. And that's why they hire us to do it. Mm-hmm. We like to go another level, another step beyond that basic day-to-day reconciliation of transactions. And we like to actually do budgeting with a business owner. Mm-hmm. A more common word might be forecasting or the more common business term might be forecasting, but there's a difference between the kind of forecasting we do relative to you know, standard sort of using a spreadsheet to make guesses about the future. When we forecast, what we're actually doing is saying, how much cash is in the business right now? How much cash will likely be in the business in the near future in the form of customers who have open invoices that they'll be paying or customers who are on payment plans and those payments will be coming in. So we combine the cash that's currently on hand with the cash that is reliably on the way with our expectations about how much we're going to spend, we ground all of this in real data, real numbers, none of it is guesses. And by doing that, we're able to create a very clear picture of what the business's cash will look like over the next, say 30, 60, and 90 days. So when we're forecasting that cash, we're able to tell a client, if they're working with us in sort of a CFO capacity, we're able to say, all right, based on what you've told me you want to do, in terms of paying yourself, paying your team, advertising, et cetera, based on what you've told me you want to do and how much cash you have and how much cash you will have in the near future, I can give you a relatively precise sales quota that you can now drive to. Mm-hmm. And the sales quota becomes really powerful because oftentimes we will have sales goals, we'll have revenue targets, and we're aiming for those and they might be exciting to us but we don't have really good clarity about how that specific amount of revenue will impact the things that we want to do in our businesses and our personal lives. With our approach, we're able to say, here's how much money I need you to bring in. And if you bring in that amount of money, that's the key that unlocks a raise for you, a raise for your team, an increased cash reserve, uh, investments in new advertising or equipment or coaching, whatever you wanna buy that revenue specifically unlocks the key to these desires you have. And we know that it's not, we're kind of, we're trying to remove the black box as much as possible where money comes into the business and money goes out of the business. And we don't really understand what happened in the, in the, in the interim. We want to bring clarity and the way we do that is by forecasting with actual cash. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's kind of the big differentiator between us and other approaches. So if I'm following Mark, you're combining what, you know, what might be termed cash flow forecasting with sales goals with then that planning for either business development or whatever it is that I want to do in the business. Like you say, either pay myself more or grow here or whatever it might be combining all of that, as opposed to, I think traditionally what happens is our bookkeeper or accounting gives us our PL, our balance sheet, and maybe a cash flow statement. And we're left to kind of interpret what that's telling us about the future. 
That's exactly right. And those are good tools. Those are powerful tools, but making those tools meaningful, making the data on those reports meaningful is comparatively more difficult. What we like to do is make it as simple as possible by saying, all right, how much do you want to pay yourself next month? Are you hiring anyone soon? If so, how much do you plan to pay that person? Are there any other expenses we need to talk about? And we ground everything in their actual current plans and desires. We map their current cash to those plans and desires. And when there's a shortfall between their cash and their plan, that becomes this very clear, very powerful sales quota that they know they can go chase with confidence because they know exactly how that new revenue is going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. Going back to the, the the transaction of bookkeeping, again, we're not, of course, for very small businesses when you're starting, I always suggest, you know, you probably don't have the finances to outsource that. But, but obviously, this is the business you're in. So you're a proponent of that. I think sometimes people will use that though to kind of wash their hands of anything having to do with the numbers, right? Somebody else is taking care of it. I'll look at it maybe at the end of the year with my tax consultant and, and that's it. The reason for the focus here so much on the bookkeeping is that's the foundational data that if that's not right, then I can't do any of this other planning that we've just talked about. That's exactly right. We're so, we care so much about the usefulness and the accuracy of the forecast that if we don't have correct bookkeeping to the penny, then we can't trust the forecast. So it becomes the foundation on which we build these really useful powerful cash flow plans because they're they're not made up they're based in your bank account has $10,142 in it and we're going to give every one of those $10,142 a specific job in your business it's the accurate bookkeeping that sets us up, sets us up for that and it's beyond the typical transaction of let me record money I spent, because to your point, it's also about making sure that in that bookkeeping process, I'm recording the fact that somebody owes me a hundred bucks and I'm going to get paid a month from now. That's right. That, that's my opinion. Anyway, I believe that in business, we do operate on larger than a, you know, larger than just looking at today. We, we want to have some sense of what does life look like in 30 and 60 and 90 days and payments owed to me are part of that conversation. Now, we always have to acknowledge that sometimes people don't pay. So we, even just in our heads, we apply a sort of best guess at how much of that money will actually come in. Some of my clients have businesses where, unfortunately, a pretty high percentage of those payments don't end up coming in. But in most of my clients' businesses, those payments come in at a rate of probably 90, 95% or more so those numbers need to be part of our forecast because that yeah. money is coming. But again, most business owners, because their books are such a mess, they have no visibility. And that, what I see then, of course, is I'm sure you see it often, is that's why people's receivables are in such arrears because they don't even know what their position is on that money. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Okay, talk to me a little bit more about how you help people set those goals for growth or pay myself more or open a new location. Uh, Give me a little bit more about that. I heard you talk a little bit more, a little bit about that on an episode that I listened to, I think on Brooke's show as well. Yeah. uh, Give me, just give me an overview of that, that approach to planning for those kind of things in my business. My, my observation is that 
oftentimes business owners will approach revenue planning or goal setting sort of from the top number and work their way down. Meaning they'll say, I'd like to generate a million dollars next year or a hundred thousand. And then they work their way back to through how much do I want to pay myself and et cetera. What I propose is that the most powerful revenue goals will come from the bottom up. Meaning let's start with how much do you want to pay yourself? How much would you like to build into a reserve? Um, what other investments would you like to make in the business? And we grow, we, we build the, 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 the goal that way. And again, a big differentiator is that we ground those goals in the most recent reality. So instead of just asking somebody, how much do you want to pay yourself? And they, they throw out their biggest dream number off in the future, which I think is valuable on its own. But if we're trying to make behavior change today, we'll usually ground today's goal in terms of yesterday's result. So we'll say, look, you paid yourself 50K last year. How much do you want to grow that this year? And they'll say, oh, you know, let's grow that 20% this year. Okay, great. So we're going to set a 60K goal for you to pay yourself. And we'll run through that with every area of the business. And then we account for taxes. We account for sort of miscellaneous unexpected expenses. And all of that finds its way to an exciting revenue goal that means something to them because they know everything that created it. It's not just an arbitrary goal. It's one that they built through the lens of their their highest priorities. Right. It's not just throwing a target on the wall, but, but also as you're doing that exercise and you get to those revenue goals, that's when it tells you, okay, this is not realistic. In other words, right. it could be as simple as we, 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 even if we had a great year, we don't have enough salespeople to achieve that, or we don't have enough inventory to achieve that. So there's a reality check, I'm assuming, that happens then as you extrapolate that out and as you do that analysis, yes? That's right, because you may find that bumping up 10% here and 20% there leads to a total revenue goal that we want goals that stretch us, but we also have to have goals that we can, we can at least believe in on some level. And if, and if a goal seems so outside the realm of possibility, then it stops being motivational and it starts being discouraging to us. Right. And destructive because then uh, then you're not going to do that again, right? You're going to go back to your previous method because it's like, Oh, that didn't work. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Let's go back to some of the emotional and mindset stuff here. We've touched on some of it, but, but um Tell me a little bit more about that. You know, you, you talk about this, this anxiousness. We touched on uh, this anxiousness that people have with the numbers. And we've talked a bit about some of the origins of that. But I want to explore a little bit more about which I, I think is spot on what you shared about that sometimes what's keeping me the anxiousness is I don't want to know what the numbers are telling me. So what do you tell people like that? Who You know, that's really what they're afraid of. How do you help them get over that? You know, I what I do, Henry, is I, I kind of, I put on my life coach hat mm-hmm. and I, before we ever look at numbers, I want to sit with them and talk to them about their business. And I want to take them through exercises. And all I mean by that is a conversation where we build evidence in favor of their business and its success. Meaning if I sit with you, if I sit with anybody who's been putting any amount of effort into a business, I know I'm going to find evidence of value creation and progress and momentum. I know it's there. So if I can sit with someone and sort of coach them through their their basic self-doubt and self-criticism as it relates to their business, 
and help them feel confident in themselves and their business before we look at the numbers, then they're less likely to think that the numbers are going to condemn them as a failure and, you know, as a loser or whatever, because I've never looked, and I know for a fact, I will never look at a financial statement. I'll never look at a profit and loss statement or a balance sheet and see a failure or see a loser or see a fraud. I just see numbers on a piece of paper or on a PDF or a spreadsheet or whatever it is. So the, the job is to first get ourselves in a good, confident mindset and remind ourselves of our goals and remind ourselves of our values and then take that energy into looking at our numbers so that we've, we've kind of primed ourselves to find good things in those numbers. Not that we're trying to be pie in the sky, not that we're trying to ignore reality, but we do want to prime ourselves for optimism and enthusiasm as opposed to what I think is typical, which is priming ourselves for doubt and fear and, um, and you know, shame and worry. So the numbers can't do anything to you. Nothing, that, nothing on that computer screen can hurt you. The only thing that's happening is when you feel a lot of negative emotion before or during the moment when you're looking at numbers on a computer screen, all that's happening is we're exposing thoughts and feelings that were already there. And the computer screen is just, it's just, a, it's just kind of that moment's catalyst for why those thoughts and feelings are coming to the service surface. So that's where I, one of my favorite parts of my work is to say, okay, before we ever look at any numbers, let's just, I want to talk to you about your business, your passion, your values, your progress. And that gets people in the right mindset to be ready to go find really useful information in their numbers. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, going back to the analogy or not the analogy, the reference to when we were in school, it's almost like the numbers are that bad grade that we are afraid we might've gotten on that math test. And yep. we, and we feel like it's the ultimate judgment on whether we have failed or succeeded as a business owner. And, and in and fact, it, what it might just show us is that we may need to adjust our business model so that it makes more financial sense, right? Or our marketing strategy or our, yeah, you're exactly right. And the, the most tragic side effect of this is that too many of your listeners, too many business owners right now are walking around with a chronic low level, sometimes high level, but chronic low level sense of dread and anxiety as it relates to their money because they can't get themselves to look at it. And I've had this experience time and time again over the last seven years where I'm taking people through numbers on the screen, on a shared screen, and I can see them physically, physically bracing and kind of clinching. And it's like they're bracing for impact. And I've seen it enough times now that I know that I don't need to overreact to that. I just keep calmly working them through. Right. And what you I'm know, doing you know what's is happening. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm showing them that it's not as bad as they think they're doing better than they think and everything's going to be okay. And time and time again, in these conversations, I'm hearing people say things like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. That's, oh, things are better than I thought they were. And that to me is I'm thrilled that they have that relief, but it's a tragedy to think how many people are walking around without that relief because they won't or feel like they can't look at their numbers and figure out the truth of what's going on in the business. Yeah. I'm glad you shared that Mark, because I, I have almost always found that once you get your arms around it, there is that relief that gets lifted off 
-hmm. because even if the numbers aren't great, you now at least you know, and now you can formulate a plan to fix it or solve it or pivot or whatever it is that you need to do. But now at least you have clarity. And that alone, I have found, lifts a lot of that weight off of people's shoulders. My, my favorite saying that I use over and over again with my clients through the years is the stress of awareness is so much better than the stress of ignorance. Mm, love that. Because when I have awareness, I'm empowered to make new decisions and to take new actions. When I'm, when I'm struggling with the stress of ignorance, I tend to be paralyzed. Well said. All right. Uh, give me the summary on, on the services. You know, we've touched on it, but give me a summary of the services that Let's Do the Books offers. Let's Do the Books is primarily a bookkeeping service with, uh, that also offers, that offers a CFO service. So with our bookkeeping service, we, we use that tool I talked about. We use You Need a Budget. It turns out to be quite a good tool for managing the cash in very simple online businesses like coaches, freelancers, consultants have. We do all the importing of transactions into that. We, we categorize it. We build out the reports like the profit and loss and the balance sheet so that that's all taken care of. And we, we communicate with the, with the client to make sure that we've categorized everything perfectly. And then we're happy to interact with their, with their tax professional at tax time to make sure that everything is exactly how that tax professional wants it. So in its, on its most basic level, that's, that's how Let's Do the Books serves its clients. Uh, an interesting thing about Let's Do the Books is we have a sliding scale fee structure. So businesses that are very new and may not need a lot of support with bookkeeping, but they like the idea that they could have it taken care of almost from day one. We have a relatively lower starting fee for them. And then the fee grows as the business grows, but then it caps. So at a certain point, your bookkeeping is staying the same, even though you're earning far more than you ever have before. And that's been nice because it, it lets us grow. It lets our clients grow with us. We, and we like that. Yeah. It's a unique pricing model. When I was, when I was looking at that, I was like, Oh, that's, I've never seen that approach, which is, which is fantastic. It makes it yeah. so much more approachable. And so your sweet spot, your ideal client typically is that online entrepreneur, a freelancer, a coach, those types of businesses, correct? That's right. And when they're getting up and running and when they're kind of finding their legs, that sliding scale is a perfect fit for them. The bookkeeping is a per perfect fit for them. We've noticed that once they start kind of getting near or past six figures, they really benefit from the CFO service. And the CFO service gives gives people everything that I'm talking about today with the, the forecasting and the clarity around the, the sales quotas and the, the, the cash flow planning. So usually people who start with our bookkeeping service or some of the people who start with our bookkeeping service will eventually see enough growth in their business that they'll, they'll kind of move up to have their own CFO in the business. And that's a member of my team. And then we can give them all that kind of extra goodness. Yeah. Which that, that is something that is worth touching on for a moment because it's something that really has come to be more popular and even common in the last, I don't know, five years or so. Yeah. If I think to before that, we would think, okay, at some point I'll get, I'll have to bring in an accountant and maybe a CFO. But now there is this so many organizations like your own that offer this, I don't know, whatever you call it, part-time CFO or outsource CFO. And boy, what a great way to get what you need there in the way of that knowledge and guidance and having that in your team without having to go hire a full-time CFO. Yeah, that's right. And you're right. They're popping up all over the place and I'm happy to see it. Uh, when I started, most of the people I talked to had never heard no. of having a CFO at all. 
And now I see lots and lots of them. And I think that's great because, you know, I don't envision serving a, a, a big percentage of the world. So we need more people doing this work and helping business owners having this clarity. And it's nice because you don't have to pay a hundred grand a year for a CFO. You can pay right. a few thousand a year and get 80% of that, of that same benefit. So you don't have to be, you don't have to be flying blind in your cash flow anymore. The, the, the world has a lot of great solutions for you. All right, we'll start to wrap it up, Mark. What's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation, especially the, this focus on looking at bookkeeping in, in a very different way for what it can do for me, bookkeeping slash you know, budgeting, as you've explained it. What's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation? I just want people to believe that they are capable of understanding their numbers and using them to make better decisions. And that if they will persist in that start and persist in that habit, that their the anxiety and the fear that they feel about looking at their numbers will, will fade and eventually disappear. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to, to touch on and why this was so important is that sometimes when we have these anxieties, these fears, what I found is what I have found is sometimes another source of it is we think we're the only ones that are ignorant about this or have this problem or or afraid of our books. And when we realize that this is a common thing, it almost kind of releases some of the power of it over us is what I've found. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it is. Uh, it's so common. Uh, people who feel comfortable and confident with their numbers and their money are, that's the tiny, tiny fraction of all, of all business owners. So if you are walking, if you're moving through the world, if you're moving through life thinking, I hope no one finds out that I'm not, I don't totally have my numbers dialed in. Believe me, in a room of a hundred business owners, <laughs> 96 of them feel exactly like you do. And you've got nothing to be ashamed of. It's a simple habit. You can learn it a few minutes a day and it's not as hard as you think, And you're, but you're definitely not alone. Yeah, that's been my experience as well. All right, I forgot to ask you for a book recommendation. Is there a book that uh, you would recommend to us? If I can re recommend two, the one that I think is so excellent for business finance is uh, is a book called Profit First. And that's, of course, not my book, uh, but I think Mike Michalowicz, that author, has done such a wonderful job of making making it, it easy and easier for a person to wrap their head around what financial progress looks like in a business. So I definitely recommend Profit First. And the other one I would recommend is a book called The Psychology of Money by an author named Morgan Housel, H-O-U-S-E-L. And it's, it's just maybe a year old, but it's become one of my favorite personal finance books out there because it has such a reasonable, calm treatment of how to think about our financial, our finances now and our finances in the future. Excellent recommendations. Uh, Profit First, I've read. In fact, I've had Mike on this show. And when, when oh, you great. Were describing, He's a fantastic guy. Yeah, he is. When you were describing that approach, it sounded like a Profit First type of approach. You know, well, what's funny, and I, I always, I kind of have like this, uh, this run, I don't even, I've never talked to Mike, but uh -huh. this sort of running joke with people where I say that I'm really annoyed with Mike because I was <laughs> Profit Firsting before he wrote Profit First, <laughs> but he thought to call it Profit First. I know. Brilliant. And I give him full credit. He's a brilliant marketer and a brilliant guy. It's a great, it's a great philosophy and I'm glad he's out there teaching it. Yeah. And then this other book I had not heard of. So thanks for that recommendation. It ties right into what we've been talking about the mindset side of this. Yeah. Yep. All right. Where do you want us to go online to learn more? 
I just want people to visit letsdothebooks.com and see if there's something we can do to help them out. We, we love to serve our clients. We are relatively niche, meaning if we're not going to be able to do an amazing job for you, we will tell you that because we don't, we don't take on clients that we can't, can't serve perfectly. But go to letsdothebooks.com, give that a look, see if we're a good fit. And if we are, we are so excited to be your bookkeepers. Wonderful. All right, Mark, this has been a great conversation. Very enlightening. Thanks for exploring all this with me and, and for taking the time to be with me today. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Henry, for, uh, for the conversation. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Mark Butler. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.